You're listening to Real Chicks Rock Presents Real Discussions, and I'm your host, Michelle Dawes-Burt. Fasten your seatbelts as it's sure to be an informative discussion and conversation. Keep in mind that we are not perfect, but we're empowered. Enjoy. Good afternoon and welcome to Real Chicks Rock Presents Real Discussions. I'm your host, Michelle Dawes Burden. As always, I'm super excited. Don't, don't you start one. Don't you start. <laughs> I love my guests. Um, as always, I'm always super excited to be here. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood here in Atlanta. It is election season. A lot of people have already started to go out and early vote. So it's a very critical time for us here, not only in Atlanta, but out the throughout the entire country. Um, today's topic, I want to just give you the topic today because I'm really excited about it. And I, and I love all people and especially the people that I have on today. Today is que pasa? What's going on in our Latin community? We need to have this conversation because oftentimes we talk about the narrative from the African-American perspective, but our Latino brothers and sisters are, are, are are our brothers and sisters. And so I wanted to give them an opportunity to share the space today to just talk about things as they see it through their eyes, because we don't necessarily get the proper media coverage. We don't always have the proper understanding and insight. So I just wanted to invite a couple of guests today to just kind of share what's going on as they see it within their community. Um, thanks for all of the new listeners today. I thank you guys for joining us. Just want to give you guys a little background as to what Real Chicks Rock is all about. It's all about creatively collaborating and connecting to raise awareness regarding issues that impact women. Um, by, and we do it by way of community service. We do it through public speaking. We do it through mentoring the workshops and the arts. And this platform, like I said, we use this to talk about things that we feel are very important to us and not only talk about the challenges and the opportunities, but we want to talk about how we can be empowered. So we come, we try to walk away with some resolutions and some answers as well. Um, again, today, my topic is que pasa, what's going on in our Latin community. And I have a guest via, via by Zoom and I have one in the office today. Look at that pretty face. Hello. Let me say hi to my guest. My guest is Genevieve uh, Williams Camus, right? Close. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for being a guest. And inside to my right here is Dr. Juan Rodriguez. Juan. Uh, uh, thank you for the opportunity. I am so excited to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Let's jump in. So Genevieve, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little background about yourself, if you don't mind. Absolutely, um, Michelle. Um, well, first of all, you know, I checked out the Real Chicks Rock platform, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. I read up because I'm really careful about who, who I do interviews with. Yes. So I'm really excited to be here. I should, I should say that. I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm really, I'm really excited. Um, I am... I live in the Bronx right now. Mm -hmm. I'm originally from Panama, um, Republic of Panama, not Panama City. And I am a mom of two amazing children, seven and nine-year-olds. And I'm also a daughter, right? I'm mm -hmm. a daughter of my mother, which is Ona Williams Comrie, and my father, Enrique Williams. And that's just really important for me to say because they live in Panama. Right. So especially during these times, it has been... Um, it's been hard. Mm -hmm. It's been hard for me to be so far away from them and not be able to visit them. Right, right. When's the last time did you see you see your parents? Was it last year, twenty nineteen, or was it was twenty nineteen? Yeah, um, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I usually either bring them 
here to the U.S. Um, to spend a month, and or we go, we all of us go to to Panama. Mm-hmm. So neither one of them has happened this year. Yeah, and it's not only me impacted, right? It's it's also my children. Yes, that have a really um, strong connection to to their grandparents and right. and to Panama and their cousins and everything else. Right, right. So it also feels like there is there's been. Um, Sort of a rupture of relationship building mm-hmm. and family life. Yeah, and it's important. It's very critical because we need that. Is Has the challenge been because of our, and we can talk more about it as we get into the program and the conversation, but has the challenge that we can't see our parents because of COVID in conjunction to our relations with Panama or has just really been because of no. COVID? No, Panama um, is one of the countries like, most of the countries, I should say, mm-hmm. that have taken this pandemic really seriously. Yes. They ha- they actually closed down their airports. Wow. So all, you know, there, and that's a, a way that they have been able to contain it. Yes. Um, and to reduce the numbers. Mm-hmm. So it's still not safe for people to go in or, or out. Right. I feel like people are going out more and now they have opened it up for cargo only. Okay. Right? Um, but like, for example, you know, when my parents, when I told my parents once, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to the supermarket. This was maybe like in maybe like May or June. And my dad is like, oh, you have to prepare, you know. And he was asking. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, yes, every single supermarket here mm. in, in Panama City has the the temperature mm. checker. Right. And then not only that, they give out free masks. Wow. If people don't have it, yes. If buildings are over a certain height mm. and, and floors, they have contact tracers coming in and coming out. Mm. And I'm, and he's like, "So what are they doing over there?" I said, yeah. "Oh, nothing." Yeah, <laughs> they have a sign. Yeah, that says, yeah. You have to come in, but yeah. I still see people inside places without right. the mask on. Right, right. So public health is actually something that has been taken very seriously. So it's for their safety yes. that I can't go. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, you're going to be trouble if you go over there because we just don't have those type of restrictions. So when you get over there, you're going to have to be quarantined and all that and da, 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 da. Well, I, they don't even allow you to come in. Yeah. Wow. We had an, we had an aunt that, that passed away recently and yeah, her daughter, was the only person that was allowed because her daughter. Yeah, immediate family. And, and she had to be quarantined before anything else. Wow, wow. It, public health has been taken very seriously um, in a country that doesn't have the millions of dollars at this moment. I know, I know. We're going to talk more about that. Now to my guest to the right, Juan. Dr. Juan, hi. Hi. Tell the people a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm a New Yorker. I was born and raised in New York in mm-hmm. El Barrio. Mm-hmm. I taught in the so- South Bronx mm-hmm. uh, Junior High School 131 mm-hmm. for a little while. Um, uh, we cha- I changed careers in 1993 to become a chiropractor. Okay. Uh, in New York, I worked in construction for over 12 years doing layout design project management and estimating of high-rise construction buildings. And then the bottom fell out, and I said, you know, I had enough. I'm going to come to Georgia. Okay. And that's where my opportunity to meet you. I had told my friends, you know what? I'm going to become a chiropractor. And they were like, dude, dude, bro, what do you know about? I go like nothing. And they told me, hey, listen, I admire you, you know and the reason why I admire you is because a lot of people say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and they never. Right. All right? You just said, hey, I'm gonna, 
you know, and you just got up, came to Georgia, and I got to meet Michelle. Yeah. And I'm sitting on a chair that probably Kai and Kevin <laughs> and all my <laughs> colleagues in Atlanta. Some have of your houses have said, I'm not yes. worthy. <laughs> I like to tell people, um, I wore a bow tie today because I wanted to make sure that I look quasi intelligent. <laughs> You're fine. Because I'm constantly telling people I'm not that smart. You're fine. You know? You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Tell me a little bit about the neighborhood you live in today. Is it Afro- is it Latino inspired oh, or no. influenced? No. Oh no, not at all. Um, coming from a barrios, uh, Spanish Harlem, mm-hmm. everything I knew was black and Puerto Rican. Right. And so when I came to Georgia, I anticipated. You know, to be inclusive, to be accepted by my colleagues. So I started working and I was kind of like, I was kind of thrown for a loop because everything growing up was, you know, black and Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know I was a minority, you know, (laughs) I thought everybody was Puerto Rican, (laughs) right? And um, I came to Georgia and we got questions like, do, do you speak Mexican? Mm. I'm like, no, I think they speak Spanish, and so do I. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you have good recipes for tacos. I go, no, dude, you eat more tacos than I do. I eat rice and beans, <laughs> man. Okay? Um, so those are the kind of questions that we got. Mm-hmm. I got pulled over for, being, for driving while being brown, you know, because I had an older car and you know, when they looked at my license, it was like Juan Rodriguez. Oh, you know, you must be illegal. Mm. You know, so they took my license. Mm. Um, I got it back. It was for because the light over my tag was out. Okay. So now, years later, when we had our child, we decided that we wanted to move to East Cobb, which mm-hmm. is very predominantly white. Yeah, Caucasian white. Mm-hmm. Melanin deprived. Okay. Not melanin enhanced. Okay. <laughs> And um, I felt like a stranger on a stranger in a strange planet. Okay. You know, um, uh, you know, I would take my son to school, and they would ask him, "Oh my God, where are you guys from?" And we were all we're Puerto Rican, and he was like, "Oh, we thought you were Middle Eastern or something." Mm. And then I would find it very interesting that my friends that I met here and from Atlanta proper did had a found it challenging to come visit me in Cobb County because it was like, dude, why? 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 I'm not, not going to go to Cobb County, man. I'm, you know, African-American. I'm going to get pulled over for nothing. Mm. So those are the kind of challenges that we faced and we kind of just, we kind of look at them and go like, hey, you know, we are who we are and we're mm-hmm. going to live this way, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to change ourselves for just about anybody um, and it gets me into trouble. Mm-hmm. It gets me into trouble. But it's okay. Because I, I you know, I have a, a strong perception of no matter how educated or no matter how much your income status may be in the proper environment, you're not going to be looked upon as someone as equal mm-hmm. because of your melanin content. Okay. You know, so which is kind of like challenging until they start talking to you and they go like, hey, man, that guy's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Hey, that guy's kind of smart. Well, that gal is kind of smart. Yeah. You can tell because all the books behind her. Yeah, she is smart. Jay, we're talking about you. So I'm going to ask you, because I'm from the Bronx, so I I know what it's it's like, but I haven't lived there in years. So tell me what the community's like now. Still a very big melting pot, correct? Blacks, Latinos, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, the whole thing, right? 
Um, the whole thing, um, the Bronx, the Bronx, you know, it has, it's a historically marginated, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a word, mm -hmm. but it has been marginalized, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Politically and financially, economically. And, you know, communities in the Bronx, primarily, there is one community in the Bronx, you know, that is pretty white dominant, mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, and I feel like whenever I've been there, you can see the the stark differences mm -hmm. right um but the bronx for the most part is the bronx parts of brooklyn and queens are the ones that uphold manhattan right mm -hmm. so of course we are living in the one it has the poorest congressional district in the whole country mm -hmm. but also most of the environmental violations within the city happen within the Bronx. Mm -hmm. All the the depots, for example, mm -hmm. every single of the largest companies, you know, um, are in the Bronx, which means that the traffic of, um, if you just look at like their delivery system and the traffic that happens within the Bronx, that then leads to pollution that then leads to different types of cancers right. that then lead to asthma issues and other health issues are escalated mm -hmm. in these communities. And then where are the lowest income generators um, for their families? Mm -hmm. In the Bronx, mm -hmm. because they're the ones that sustain the rest of, of the state, of the city. Um, so yeah, so we're living in those conditions um, where there is a large undocumented um, community where there is a lot of um, African descendants from different countries, right. where there is, it's just like, for me, it's, it, for me, it's not a melting pot direct necessarily. It's more of a community that has been systemically abandoned mm. and the people that live in it are the ones that keep on centering it mm. and dealing with the, the marginalization of their own community. Mm. Do you see, do you, has there been an increased population for Mexicans to live in the Bronx or not really? I see them when I'm home, more or less riding the trains, but I don't know where their dwelling uh, borough might be. Any idea? I, you know, I've been here 10 years, right? So I couldn't speak specifically on the numbers of, of the Mexican community that live here or the increase and decrease. I do know that there's some well-established businesses that mm -hmm. are community-based, like mm -hmm. for example, Restaurante La Morada, mm -hmm. that's a safe haven for, for undocumented people and it has been under attack recently. Um, but I couldn't tell you the numbers and more so because I, the, the work that I do is, is mostly focused on black Latino, mm -hmm. and Latina, mm -hmm. right? So, um, a lot of the Mexican community, of course, they're not, they don't identify as black. They're right. mostly indigenous descent. Mm -hmm. So not that I don't have any relationships with them. It's just that in the work that I do, we center blackness within Latinidad. Mm -hmm. And tell us a little bit about the work that, we, that mm -hmm. you do. Okay. So I'm the current executive director of Afro Resistance. Afro Resistance is a human rights-based organization that um, works to educate and organize around racial justice in the Americas. Mm. And how we define the Americas, you know, people think that America is a country and America is not a country. The country is called the United States. Um, the region is called America. Mm -hmm. Um and there are other countries that have, you know, that use America as well, right? Within, within, within their whole name. Um, so we look at, we center blackness within that in the, in the discourse around immigration and migration, right? So when we, when we look at migration, 
we have to be clear that there is a very large percentage of black um, folks that are immigrants and our deportation rates, if you look at them specifically, are are higher for Haitians than collectively for other people. Mm. And those are not those are not things that are are being openly discussed because when we look at Haiti and Black Dominicans and Black mm. Panamanians, we're not seeing them as immigrants. We're seeing them as simply Black people, which we are, but we're also immigrants. And the immigrant rights movement has historically neglected to incorporate us into the discourse, which is why more people focus on and, you know, people should focus on on the Mexican community and the very Central American community. But we're also part of those countries. Right. Mm. So, for example, when we when the migrant caravans that happened recently that we all saw in the media, et cetera, et cetera, there was a a, a very explicit um not silencing, but ignoring of the hundreds of Garifuna women and mm. families from Honduras that were migrating in those caravans as well. Mm. The same as the black Cubans that were part of that caravan, mm. the black Brazilians that were part of that caravan. We didn't see their faces because, and, and, and if we don't see their faces, we don't humanize us. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Juan, for you, you touched on a little bit about some of the challenges you you find or discovered in your community. Is there is there any other challenges or disparities that you've seen, whether it be in New York or really here <clears throat> in, in Georgia? You know, growing up in um, New York and uh, in a barrio, I'm an uptown guy and my wife is a downtown girl. In the seven, I you know, I grew up in, you know, I was a child in the 60s and I was a teenager in the 70s. So my, my influences there was like, you know, growing up in a barrio, you know, there was a lot of like crime and there was like a lot of, but I, I realized that everybody around me was Puerto Ricans and mm. the Puerto Ricans used to congregate together. They came to this one area so that they can uplift it. Now, when I would go outside, you know, of course I would be dodging, you know, like, junkies and I would see abandoned cars all over the place and a number of runners and mm. you know the gangs on the corners and stuff like that uh, but to me it was normal it was like hey it's my block right. you know um, where I'm going to is, is that in that area in El Barrio which is you know between 96th street and like 138th street between the East River Drive and Central Park West okay mm -hmm. it was like a big area where you found a lot of Hispanic culture that overlapped with the African-Americans culture. Mm -hmm. And if you saw any white people in, in that neighborhood, they were either buying drugs or they were police officers. Okay. 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 So everybody was Puerto Rican, black and Puerto Rican. I was like, yo, man, what's up? Now, lately I have been going, uh, the last couple of times I went back to my neighborhood, I actually went by the basketball courts and I was like, hey, dude. You know, they're playing basketball over there. And when I looked, it was like a whole bunch of Mexicans. I was like, or Central Americans, you know, you know mm -hmm. being Mexican and generalizing it is really kind of like not politically correct. Okay. 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 Um, just like when they come to me and ask me if I'm Mexican here in Georgia, mm -hmm. because everybody that's Latino in Georgia is Mexican. And I'm like, dude, no. I'm not Mexican. <laughs> I'm Puerto Rican. Right? Um, 
the doctora, they will probably say, oh, she's African-American, yo, what's up, sis? And then she'll just start speaking, and it's like, there, you got an accent, all right? <laughs> but what happens, and it's happening here in Georgia also, where you go to, like, Smyrna or you go to Gwinnett, people that are coming from another country are going to want to be congregating in an area where they're going to be understood and they feel like it's a safe haven mm -hmm. to them. Mm -hmm. So people will establish themselves in these locations and then start incorporating or start bringing in their of their own kind. And then in which case they start doing clicks so that they can protect themselves, mm -hmm. you know, which can overlap into like the gang culture and, you know, protection. And, and then it could be also attract the eyes of other people where they can think it's like, oh, you know, we, we can have victims over there and stuff like that. In which case, uh, because they don't, they're undocumented, they don't have access to the banks and they don't have, so they'll carry a significant amount of uh, money on themselves mm -hmm. and they don't have any driver's license. So they're worried about getting pulled over or, you know, or, and like my case as being a doctor, you know, when their patients come in, and they're undocumented. First of all, they got hit. They weren't at fault in a car accident. They were arrested. And then they were hurt. And now they feel that they're not entitled to any claims or any, you know, any kind of rehab uh, services. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In which case, I, I provide them because I don't care. You know, just I like taking care of people, you know. Um, so going back to that topic. You see in Smyrna, you see in Marietta, Little Pockets, you see Big Pockets in Gwinnett. And in Gwinnett, we also have a, a Puerto Rican representative. His name is on Don Pedro Marin, and he's in the House of Representatives, a Democrat, and he uh, works. And in Cobb County, we got a, a Latina. She's young. She's going up against an 80-year-old incumbent. And she's 35, and she's going for the school board. I'm kind of, like, excited about mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm, you know? He comes a Latina, and she's a Democrat, and she's going to run up against a Republican. And it's kind of, like, exciting to see that mm -hmm. because, again, you know, you got people that say they're going to, they're going to, they're yeah. going to, and yeah. they don't. This is the sisters that are stepping up and say, I'm going to. I'm going to do it, just like a AOC in the Bronx. Yeah. You know, she stepped up, and she'd be like, yo, She's doing incredible things. I'm here. She's doing incredible things. Talk to me a little bit about the unemployment rate in, within the Latin community. The numbers have gone up in the same. And tell me a little bit about it, your perception or opinion on that one. What's going on? You know, in, uh, in our economy, they keep saying, oh, my God, there are jobs all over the place. This is the best unemployment situation that's ever been. It's just like, yeah, well, you're underemployed, okay? You know, it's very difficult to be making $10 an hour and have an apartment in the Bronx, you know, or God forbid to have an apartment in Manhattan, which is Orange Barrio, which is being completely gentrified mm -hmm. because they're driving the people that were living there for hundreds of years that were in rent-controlled apartments. Mm -hmm. They're getting driven out so that they can accommodate those spaces because they realize what we knew all the time. Yeah. It was just like, look, mm -hmm. this is a cool place to live, yeah. man. We're in downtown in 15 minutes. We're in Jersey in 20. Yeah. You know, we can be in Queens at any time, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, um, that, those are the kind of things that disturb me is, is, is that, okay, these people want to work 
and they're being forced out, you know, and you got, you, you know, make America great and let's work and, you know, but nobody wants to pick cabbage or mm. lettuce mm. or, you know, potatoes. And it's happening in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. It's happening in Puerto Rico. Mm. In Puerto Rico, you got intelligent people, super educated people, and they don't, they don't stay in Puerto Rico and they don't want to work the land. They don't want to work what mm. is given to them. They don't want to invest in their, in their land. So you got people that are coming from other, countries like Santo Domingo mm. and the Dominicans mm. and you got people coming from Venezuela which is uh, e easily aggressors like hey we can go to Puerto Rico because they speak Spanish over mm. there and everything is cool and we're going to be incorporated and it's like and they start living and it was like hey man I think I'd like to buy that store I think I can run the store and they'll invest their time their energy and their money into elevating something that was overlooked by the people that were already living there. Mm. So it starts getting skewed in the other direction. That's why, like, um, we find um, a lot of other countries that are outside of the United States that go t into, like, let's say the Bronx, and they buy a bodega. Mm. And, you know, there's like a Korean, you know, and you go into a bodega, and mm -hmm. you go, yeah, you expect everything to be in Spanish, and the guy behind the you know, it's as of Asian descent, mm -hmm. or if you go into a hotel and you see all these um, Indians running hotels, it's like, hey, how come they can do it and stuff like that? We we can do that also. We just choose not to do it because we're so invested in this American dream of like, oh, we need to have a high-powering executive job and yeah. push a white paper here and, you know have people listen to us because we're so full of ourselves and mm. I don't believe in that you know I um you know I tell people all the time I say hey no I'm not that smart mm. okay you know, I just I just read a couple of books like <laughs> she did I pointed at you yeah tell man. me tell me what's going on in the Bronx from an unemployment perspective are the numbers staggering there or how has it been for like our Latino brothers and sisters hi cutie uh, in in New York or in the Bronx? Um, my daughter wants to know why you don't have your mask on. Oh, because I'm talking. I am. Yeah. Is she looking for a and job? We're, and we're six feet. A, and we're telling her we're six, we're six feet apart. apart. Yeah, we can't reach. <laughs> you want me to put it on? Okay. On I the next wanna. break, I'll put it on. She's giving me the face like you need to put it on. Should I scooch up? I'm going to move over. Is that better? We're six feet. Like we're so, been, we're social been. distancing. But social thank you for that. Tell her thank you for make, holding us accountable. Thank you. <laughs> and they're um, So, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw a little wrench in here, right? Really? Because Do it. Just a, little, just a little one. Just because not, you know, not all Latina people are created equal. Right, right. right. So, so this misconception, well, no, it's not a misconception. There is a high level unemployment within mm -hmm. the Latino community. Yes, absolutely. There's also a high level of white Latino employable, employability, mm -hmm. right? And we have a large percentage. Like if we look at if we look at places like Florida, Miami, yes, right, we have tons of white Cubans, yes, tons of white Venezuelans, tons of white Colombians that are highly employed. Yes, right. If yes. we look at if we look at the a lot of like you know that list of Fortune 500 businesses and everything else, we have a very high percentage of white Latino folks that are employed at these companies, but they suddenly don't count because. 
they are white, right? right? Okay. So they're mm-hmm. part of this, this, this white race, racial category. And their Latinidad is optional, to be mm. honest. Mm. Until then, they want to use it for okay. their benefit. Okay. And these people are also creating high levels of unemployment in all communities of color. Mm. Because they're making decisions based on their financial um, and capital gain. And we're talking in government as well, mm-hmm. right? So there are exceptions, of course, of Latino folks. Stop it. Sorry. That's of Latino okay. folks that are invested, right? Um, and I know Pedro as well, right? And you know I, Pedro? I know Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez yeah. like that. Yes. I've met her before. But these are exceptions of people that are invested in community. Right, right. Right. Other folks, we might not even know that they're Latino, and then they're doing things against immigration. You know, there are Latinos that are also caging people in, in on the border. Yeah. So yes, so I just wanted to to remind people. And there's background noise because my daughter is suddenly playing right next to me. That's okay. Um, she said that she's gonna stop. Okay. Um, <laughs> Lucy. Multitasking, um, multitasking. Yes. So I just wanted to share that. You know, not all Latino communities are are created equal. Right. I know that we're going to get into to talking a little bit about electoral politics and voting. Yes. Because this whole thing around um, the Latino vote, yes, it's important that everybody vote. I cannot vote in this country because I'm a resident. Um, but it's important for everybody to exercise their right to vote mm-hmm. and to be elected. I'm also like... To me, those two things go side by side. Right. Because everybody that votes needs to really understand they have they also have the right to run. Mm-hmm. So, and that takes, of course, that takes a, a different level of commitment and oh, learning yeah. curve. But but we have somebody like like AOC, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. used to be a, a bartender locally active in her own community, right. and now she's in government, yeah. right? So it it can happen, and we have other examples and models of Black folks. Um, that have also done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we talk about the Latino vote, I'm always like, I'm always like, okay, who's doing the marketing? Because Latinos vote, and yeah. some of them vote for Trump. Yeah, yes, we're gonna talk about that, baby. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna right. talk about that. Yeah, white Latinos vote. Yes, yes, yes. And a lot of them organize, and because their 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 alliances are not with the people on the ground. There, it is not. There there's a big movement in Dade County and Miami, right? There are Cubans for Trump. There's a whole lot of synergy there. And then the governor, right, of Puerto Rico, right, Wanda Vasquez, mm-hmm. has endorsed Trump just this week, last week, 10-6. She publicly endorsed and she's asking, to your point, getting people to vote. And I guess there's an underlying ask to vote for Trump because she's endorsing him. But she wants people to go out and vote. When you look at her, she does not look like me, you are one. She does look more like a the, of the white Latino blonde hair, so on, so, so, like so. Like a so, white so. person. Yeah, like a white person. When I looked <laughs> at her, I saw her face. I saw, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> she looks like a white person. So I thought that was it was incredibly surprising because this is the same president that has often snickered and made comments about selling off Puerto Rico, wants to sell off Puerto Rico. When the hurricane hit and they were in devastation, he did nothing for them but throw paper towels at them in the press conference. He just signed a bill for like $13 billion to help to restore the electricity. But how long have they been in the dark? 
I mean, how long has it been? It's been over a year. So now that it's critical to election time, right? It's been some time now, maybe a year or two. And now that it's closer to election year, election time, oh, now I'll sign a bill to help you guys out. Now you're a part of the United States. So is this underlying sarcasm, just, you know, disregard for Latinos? And yet I'm surprised her and the president of Goya are supporting, supporting Trump. I don't, I don't understand. Can you help me? Somebody help me. Why? Why so? Why is it, why are they doing this? Because white supports white. Mm. White privilege is white privilege. Mm. And you know, like nobody's going to mess with their dollars. That's what, yeah. that's where, that's where, you know, I, one of my identities is of, as an immigrant person, woman from Latin America and yes I'm Panamanian and under this definition I'm Latina but I have nothing in common with them yeah. because I'm a black woman mm. right and and those that that type of analysis has to be accompanied when we talk about this Latino community there is no community mm-hmm. there's just that we are from Latin America there's mm-hmm. no community okay right okay um and I'm very and I'm very clear about that because most of the Latino community does not even consider people like me. And we have to have that analysis because the same racist people from our countries of origin have migrated. Mm. Nothing, they didn't, their racism didn't shed on the airplane. Understood. Yeah. So Goya comes from, you know, Mm -hmm. it comes from that class of folk that do crappy things in their home countries as well. Mm. So why would it be any different? And I think that's where the a lot of people are disappointed and sad. And I'm like, I personally don't trust white privileged people like that. I I never have. Yeah. And I and I never will. And and I'm talk I'm not talking about the average white person. I'm talking about the right person that is in power and making policies that literally are killing people. Mm. Mm. Juan, what say you? Wow. Well, you know, there was three things I wasn't supposed to talk about. One was politics, the other one was sex, and the other one was religion. So Jesus, my brown Jesus, is going to walk me through this, okay? <laughs> I, um, because in the United States, we have approximately 300 million people, of which 18% of them happen to be Latino. Let's go to 20% because I like even numbers. Right, round up. Okay. okay so let's, let's figure out what, 60 million of us? And now everybody is going to look at things the same way. And should we be protecting our borders? Yes, we have a, this is our country and we should be defending our borders. Okay. We shouldn't be allowing, you know, criminal activity crisscrossing both sides of the border. All right. And, and okay, cool. You should defend the border, but should you, victimize every single Latino, everybody that looks like me, that has the name like Juan Rodriguez. It's just like, oh, my God, he's in the country illegally. He shouldn't even be here. Oh, my God. You know, that those are the kind of things that irk me the most. Mm-hmm. So, you know, should we look at the economic activity of a country like, say, China, who's going rampaging through Africa and, uh, you know, just doing brutal tactics in order to, you know, steal their resources. Sort of like, you know, what some people from Europe did when they came to the United States, but let's not go into that, okay? You know, 
they're doing that, and and, and uh, the the sciences are uh, they hurting the economy of the United States? Yeah, it is. Okay, my problem with the United States is is that they're overlooking people like me. Because when I was growing up, it was like, hey, man, you should become a fireman. Hey, you should become a sanitation worker. Hey, man, you should become a policeman. Hey, you know, those are great jobs and stuff like that. Nobody ever told me. It's like, dude, you can be a doctor. Mm. Dude, you mm. can be a lawyer. Mm. Dude, you can be a judge. Dude, you know, you can be a financial advisor. None of that stuff. None of that stuff was told me. It's like, hey, look, just get a cool job. Keep your head low. Make a living. Retire and move to Florida where you're going to be recognized as an illegal alien or someone that shouldn't be there um, because Florida is the southern state. So is Georgia. Mm-hmm. Very southern. Mm-hmm. And so we have to step up and show people, it's like, look, we're here and we're not different than you. And yeah, there's some of the things that the president may have an inkling of what he should be doing or like looking at. And it's like, I can look at it and go like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, he might have a little bit of a point there. But in the manner that he's going about it, it's like really, in my opinion, it's, it's horrible. There's no dignity. There's no, there's no class. There's no cachet. There's no, you know, there's no steel. You know, it's, you know, the guy, well, okay, you're going to get me in trouble because now people are going to come over to me and they're going to be like, Do you, you know, you said all these things on the radio. Oh my God, I can't go see you. That doesn't neglect the fact of what kind of person I am or what I do with my hands and my technician abilities, or whether or not that I can communicate the information that I was, that I have ascertained from your physical stature, that what could be pro- be your problem, and how can we could pro- progress in order to be able to help you live a better lifestyle, you know, or new relief, facilitate. Yeah, I could talk like a doctor sometimes, but it kind of like, ew. <laughs> I'd rather talk like a human being, you know, it's like, hey, look, you're jacked up. Come see me. Yeah. I'll hook you up. Okay. I might even give you the broke-ass friends and family discount. <laughs> you might get one, too, man, because he's down from the boogie down. You know what I mean? But from the boogie down, man. I'm coming. Let's go okay. way by, west side. <laughs> I, I have to say, I used to live in Cobb County. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. How you know, long were you here? I was there... I think from 2004 until 2010. Okay. Why did you move? Because I met my partner. Okay. And he, he, you know, he lived in the Bronx. Um, and he had a house. Where is my gold digger? Oh, hello. <laughs> I'm out of here. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. That was kind of like incorrect. I have my own. I just came. <laughs> no, it, you know, it's, a, it's a, because I know gotcha. I knew. I used to have a house in Atlanta, too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's bigger than where I was living here, living now. But, you know, um, space is really... You know, I come from Panama, mm-hmm. so we had a lot of space. We had a big garden. We used to grow our food, et cetera, et cetera. So the thought about, you know, when I met him and the opportunity came for me to move, um, and I thought, oh, hell no, this is not going to work. You're going to have to move to Georgia mm-hmm. um, because I'm not living in a one-bedroom. Like, not not because not because it's not a great place to live like right, that, right, right. but I, I come from space. Mm-hmm. Not from wealth, but from space, space, you know, and those are the conversations too. Like in our home countries, it's a, it's a different reality, no matter our, our class and income level, mm-hmm. right? 
So space and nature are really important to me. Mm. And then when he said, well, I have a house, I was like, oh, okay. And then we have a garden. So I grow my, we grow mostly our own food. That's awesome. Are you still, do you still, are you still offended by snow? Oh, I do not like that. <laughs> well, hey, come back down. When you want to come down, you're we welcome space, to right? come back down anytime. <laughs> we got anytime. you. We got you. We got you. I want to talk to you about immigration. I so are you? I, I think you. I think I heard you correctly. Are you a citizen, or you still have your Panamanian citizenship? How How are I'm, you? I'm Panamanian. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm not a U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know. There, there's this push also, like to that people have to give up their citizenship, right? Um, and that's not, you know, you're born where you're born, mm-hmm. so just keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. You don't lose where you're born. Mm-hmm. That is your citizenship. Yes. Um, so there, you know, and if you look at international human rights um, protocols and laws and you know and all that, you don't have people don't have to give up their citizenship. It's an it's it's an optional piece. Yes. Um. So when I hear that folks are like, I don't want to give up my citizenship. I'm always like, but you were born where you were born. Right. You don't have to give up your citizenship. That's, right. that's your birthright mm. to be a citizen. Mm. So we're not, so we're not threatened by these immigration laws and things that are in place by Trump because he was, it's concerning. yeah, such a rampage to send people back, send you back to where you came from. And that could be any one of us. Most of us are not originally from here. We may be one generation away. Like our parents came from the Caribbean, whether it be Jamaica, Puerto Rico, DR, Cuba, whatever. And then boom, we, we were born here. So there was this concern that our parents or maybe an uncle or, you know, could be sent back. And so is that, that's still a concern, right? For us. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I travel, I used to travel as of March a lot for work. Yes. Inside and outside of the country. And that was always a concern of mine because not even residents are safe. Yeah. Uh, and I would say not even citizens are safe right. too, because you know. Um, so no, I, I think it's always a concern. Um, I don't think it's going to go away. And I think for Black folks, it's even heightened, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. of our the lack of our perceived physical humanity, right? Right, right. and our constant threat mm-hmm. of you know, like we breathe the wrong way and we're a threat suddenly. So there, I feel like there's always that fear. I feel, um, I do not know what's going to happen with immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm all for as long as transnational companies exist in our countries of origin and are creating chaos, mm-hmm. the borders, you know, take over the borders. Yeah. Yeah. And we're you looking to we have the right to migrate as long as businesses migrate with rights, humans should be free to migrate mm-hmm. as well. And we're looking to have dual citizenships. Those of us that are uh, U.S. citizens, we're looking to find <laughs> somewhere else to live because it's like, I don't know how much more we want to take of this. So we're looking, people are starting to talk about citizenship worldwide, not necessarily just being here in the States, whether it's returning back home to where our parents are from or creating another life somewhere else. But the social injustice is just so ridiculous. The racism is so heavy. I think we're, we're over it. We are over it. And, and so people are trying to weigh different options, especially if you have two nickels to rub and you can save and you have some form of retirement. It's like, do I really want to spend my retirement years in a country 
that is leading us this way. I, I that's the conversation that people are having. And for and for me, for me, I you know, for me, I am. I see that and mm-hmm. I understand that. And I said, I always center blackness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're people of the African diaspora, yes. right? So wherever the African diaspora is, I feel like we, we're entitled also to be there. But there, um, I say this because it, where my parents live right now in Panama and in a lot of places in Panama, the prices of things that, that were normally certain prices and accessible to local communities. Mm-hmm no longer exists yeah. because there has been a mass migration of folks from the United States. And with that comes a lot of financial privilege mm-hmm. that they bring. So if you, if, if folks that are might one, you know, if folks that are migrating don't have a class perspective about where they're moving to it's replicating the injustices that are happening right here that they're running away from. Wow. So, you know, expensive, you know, um, but, you know, purchasing power mm-hmm. for, you know, that is not accessible to people in your own community. Mm-hmm. And then you migrate somewhere else and create that for that local community. Mm-hmm. So, and the same thing with, you know, heightened security. A lot of folks from the United States are migrating, then suddenly not feeling safe. And then, at, you know, like navigating how to make controls and regulations on mm-hmm. music and on this and streets and you know, and it's like, okay, so now you're creating the same chaos that you're running away right, from. Right. So I think there has to be a very clear understanding and a political clarity when people migrate mm-hmm. about what we're not going to do. Understood. Especially in black communities. Understood. Juan, let me ask you, I want to talk to you more about the barrio. Most people, some people may not know, um, our listenership spans all the way to Europe and Germany and Paraguay, so they may not know. So give me a brief definition of what the barrio means to you. Of the who? The barrio. El barrio. Ah, uh, es como la palabra patria, or the word patria, or like, you know, nationalism, mm. okay? But barrio, man, was... Remember, I, got, I grew up in the 70s, and so I was a teenager in the 70s. So I was at the height of, like, disco and Motown and just at the end of the 60s. And so my musical influences were being enlightened. Mm-hmm. And, and there was, like, a, a record label that wanted to mimic Motown, and they called themselves Fania. And so they got, like, everybody that was, like, anybody that can make play a record. Mm-hmm. And you'd go down the street. It's something that I miss about New York, man, is I really love it. Is that when you used to go down New York, man, you walk down the street and it's like, oh, look, Eddie Palmieri is playing. Oh, my God, look, Charlie Palmieri. That's what it was. Tito Puente, who came from a barrio. Or like Mark Anthony, who came from a barrio, Mm. who used to do like freestyle music before he became a salsa singer. Same thing with India. I saw you at the the Palladium doing The Lover Who Loves You, Rocks You All Night. And we were like, oh, whatever. Anyway, that's besides the point. Um, a barrio to me was uh, a situation where everything I went, I went outside, everything was like family. You know, I couldn't do anything down the block because I knew by the time I got home, it was going to get to my mother. And my mother was no joke, mm. you know. She was serious with the chancleta. Mm. So that influenced my, you know, my my 
education or my perspective on the world. You know, it's like, man, everything should be like this, you know. And I, I constantly will post on, on Facebook or any one of my pages. It's like, I think everybody, I'm racist. I, I think everybody should be Puerto Rican, you know, because it's like we come in three colors, you know. Um, so that's what the barrio was. Yeah, but was it dangerous? Yes. You know, were the landlords burning down the buildings? Yes. Were the junkies? Did I have to like step over a drug addict that was sitting on the stoop? Yes. And were they like abandoned cars down the road? Yes. And then in the eighties, it was the crack wars. And it was just like, oh my God. You know, the government, the country was like, oh, we got to do something about crime. We got to do something about crime. Everybody, oh my God, there's so much crime. It's rampant. Everybody's shooting and stuff like that. I got an idea. We're going to get tough on crime and let's, well, let's build more jails. Mm. But the people that were getting that I'm getting incarcerated were people that were like down, or, you know, Cuco from the fourth floor, or Papo from you know down the block, you know, and um, that was those are the kind of things that we didn't even think was going to happen. So the decisions that we make right now, you know, they're not going to affect us right now. They're going to have long lasting uh, repercussions to what's going to happen to us down the road. We have a friend that wanted to go to Panama, and I have a friend that's a very good, very good friend that's Panamanian, and we were talking about going to Panama. Mm. You know what, man? Let's open up a clinic in South America. Oh yeah, where are we gonna go? Panama. He goes, oh no, Panama is too expensive because mm. we use the um, we use the American dollar, mm. the American dollar because of the Panama Canal mm. and because it belonged to the United States because mm-hmm. we claimed it and we built it, so it's ours. You know, um, it made. A serious impact on the diaspora that's in the country of Panama. Like man, the people were like, "Hey, man, I'm working. I got a job." And so people want to retire mm. in Panama. It was mm. a very interesting topic. Mm-hmm. I kind of like it. Mm. Right? Um, and my friend was like, "No, man, we ain't going to Panama. It's too expensive. Let's go to Colombia, someplace where there's not a lot of." Yeah. Americans, you know, and they need to dispel the image of like drug runners. Let's talk about drug running and crime rates, you know. A lot of the incarcerated people in the United States are there for like minor crimes. I'm a, I, you know, I, I, I watch like 48 hours all the time. And it's like, you know, somebody got shot. Well, how do they get shot? Why they get shot? And like 90% of the people that get shot on like those crime shows are like, Minorities, African Americans, and what were they shot over? Well, it was either a domestic dispute or a drug deal that went bad. Mm-hmm. Well, what kind of drug deal was it? Well, it was like marijuana. It was like, hey, well, really, is what marijuana really that bad? Is it like, am I thinking about? Let me look at this. This is like, is it worse than what you're drinking and uh, you know, a bottle of like gin or Hennessy or whatever? You know, no, it's not as bad. Now, if you remove that one label around marijuana, mm. then you're going to have to let go of like thousands and thousands of criminals that were incarcerated for going to jail because they had like maybe an ounce of marijuana, two ounces of marijuana and stuff, mm. stuff like that, which is like a petty crime. They're not criminals. They didn't go out and shoot somebody. They didn't kill somebody, but somebody killed them in regards for the 
potential of making a profit right. off of a illegal substance that they're doing so that they can upgrade their status within the neighborhood so that they can have, make a living because the United States makes it completely impossible for just a normal Joe to go to a, a, a higher academic institution and be able to you know, expand their educational basis. It's like, oh, oh I want to become a doctor. Oh, okay. Well, first of all, you got to go, you know, take the SAT. You got to take the, you know, uh, all those stupid tests. And then uh, it's going to cost you $200,000 to become a doctor. Well, maybe I could just sell drugs and I can make $200,000 in, in a year. You understand? And that's the thinking. That's the thinking. It's like people don't want to invest the energy and the time and the commitment that is required in order to elevate. But if you want to elevate this country, I say invest in your homegrown uh, uh, population. Make education available to low-income people because there's some super intelligent people that are running a Fortune 500 business that's called a drugstore or a illicit drugstore on the corner that can easily transmit transfer that kind of behavior mm -hmm. into a uh, regular business. And, and I look at that and it's kind of like frustrating to me. But then we get into the other problem, Michelle. So mm -hmm. No matter how much uh, education or no matter how much economic status that you may be, you're still going to, and you're going to go into this, you know, classy boardroom and you're going to sit down and they're going to go, oh my God, look, it's Juan Rodriguez. But if it said John Rogers, it was like, oh, John Rogers yeah. is coming, not yeah. Juan Rodriguez. Yeah. It's, I'm going to be looked at, I won't be classified immediately upon entering the room just because they looked at my name. Right, right. I want you know to ask you this. I want to ask you this, Juan, because I I know your family. Shouts out to to Jerry and Brenda that are listening and watching and your son. I've met your son and I'm going to ask you the same question too. Why is it so important that you continue to teach your son your the, your Latin ethics and your community? Why is that so important? And, and I see that all along, all the time between the music the food that you eat, um, how you embrace family, your language, the way that you keep your natural, your origin, the way that you speak. Why is that so important? Why are you trying to teach that to your son? Tell me. I, I, I got a, that's a fantastic question. Okay. <laughs> and again, and it's deep because growing up in that body, I was born and raised in New York. So, and I'm the youngest. So by the time I came around, my parents spoke to me in Spanish, and I responded in English. My father and mother went to the third grade, and by the time I, they transitioned, they were both literate in both English and Spanish mm -hmm. and, and had higher education or higher level um, custodian jobs and stuff, okay? And, now, and there's a saying that's just like, you know, you know, tell me, you know, I'll tell you who you are if you tell me who you run with, okay? okay? right. Right. I'm, uh, if I go to Puerto Rico, well, I used to go to Puerto Rico because remember, salsa dancing was happening in the 70s, man, disco. We were like uh, hustling with my girly friend over there from downtown, okay? And um, we would go, man, I'm going to go to Puerto Rico. I'm going to go to Puerto Rico because I got to see the dancers in Puerto Rico. I got to see what they dance like. And I go to Puerto Rico and I was like, yeah, they don't dance that good down here. We dance better than that in New York. Mm. Okay. And then I started doing some research on the topic and it was just like the Fania 
All Stars or Fania Records was de- was developed in New York, and that style of dancing, which is the transition from salsa dancing into the hustle, was developed in New York. It was, you know, I don't care what anybody says, man. It was done in the seventies while I was a teenager. Okay, so that was what was influencing to me. But I would go to Puerto Rico, and my cousins would go. Ah, aquí viene el gringo. Here comes the gringo. Here comes the gringo. So they will refer to me as a gringo, and I would be offended. I'm not a gringo. I'm a Puerto Rican like you. Yeah, but your Spanish sucks. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Your, my Spanish just sucks. I never spoke Spanish until I came to Georgia. In Georgia, I didn't, I, you know, I, I could read, I could understand, I could, I could sing some of those lyrics, and you could talk to me in Spanish. I understood it, but I never had to speak it. I never went to school to learn it. So my reading and writing is horrible. Probably read like a third grader or a fifth grader, you know. And my, but my communication skills have improved because I had to translate the information that I have in here to people. You mm. know, to say, look, you know, you got a boo-boo. How am I going to say that? Well, let's try it in Spanish. And then so I can run. And then every once in a while, I would run into the dialect issues. Mm-hmm. The dialect issues, which will come bring you up to that word Latinx. Okay. Uh, Latinx. Okay. Well, language is a fluid thing. You know, we came a long way from, you know, oh, to like, yo, what's happening? Mm-hmm. You know, so the transition from, and then every year you are getting words that are being added to the to the language, but you cannot change whole languages like that come from the Roman nature in regards to like Portuguese and Spanish and French and Italian and you know all of those and even English has like the male and female type you know uh, type words you know you don't go like you know midship uh uh midshipmen and you know this midship person okay or uh sea men or sea sea person okay you know it's in in the land but our, our language is being changed you know so it's going to be a hard transition for someone to who spoke a language for so many many years and then now we got to slowly shift these words so that it could be incorporated into our daily lexicon it's like what comes out of my mouth la 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 you know Mm-hmm. So that man, how did I get off topic, man? We were, we were talking about like a, a little a bit, barrio. yeah. But I was asking, why is it so important to influence your son with the man. culture? Why? Why do he you needs want to, pass to know that on? who he is, man? Because there's no way, there's no way you're going to be in the future, see who you are, unless you know where you come from. There's no way, man. There's no way you, you can't tell somebody. It's just like, hey, this is my heritage, and this is where I come from, you know. And how I go to like um, capoeira events, and you know, my son is at the capoeira events. And I'll be looking, and say, hey, man, that we we do dances like that in Puerto Rico, and I'm sure they do them in Panama. You know, with the dances and the dresses and the way they call, you know, the call and response, which mm. go all the way back to Africa, you know. Mm. So, yeah, it's very important that they understand that how to eat rice and beans, you know, whether it's on the top or on the side, you know, what a tostón is and what, you know, what penit is and stuff like that and how to interact with each other socially. Actually, the pandemic has been horrible on the Latino com- community in regards to how we interact with each why, other. Why, why, why? I'm going to tell you because normally if I would see you, Michelle, I'd be like, yo, Michelle, I know. what's 
So give each other a kiss, you know, or be like, you know, we it's a loving culture in which case that we embrace the people that we see and we bring them inclusion yes. into our into our lifestyle, you know. And it's been like really hesitant. It's like, oh, I can't hug them because I might like sneeze, COVID, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. that's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. And to me, I'm definitely, am I militant? About it, yeah, my son needs to know he's Puerto Rican. Okay. <laughs> you know, he might have been born in Georgia, he might be a redneck Rican, and he eats oh, grits pre periodically, but he is Puerto Rican, and he will know why he knows what rice and beans is, and I take him into a barrio, and I go like, look, this is your culture, and when we hear percussion, you know, he gets motivated, you oh. know, spiritually because that's where the ancestors come from okay. you know from percussion at least in my mindset okay. you know okay Genevieve what for, what for you how why is being part of the Latin community so important why are we trying to pass on that information that culture to our children why is that important thank you so I'm gonna come back to to when I said there's no Latino community, right? Mm. So I'm not fighting to be part of the Latino community mm. um, because the Latino community, for the most part, um, is not embracing of African descendant people, of black people. Having said that, I am, um, and I understand that my home country hasn't done a lot to also embrace black people um, politically, systemically, structurally, it's the same issues that we face wherever we go in the world. But it is important for my children to know um, what has been fought for them, right? right? And part of me being Panamanian comes with language, comes with cultural tradition, mm -hmm. religious tradition, mm -hmm. with food, with everything else that has been inherited and people that look like me fought for us to be able to have access to that. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's really important for my children right. to, to have access, not only to have access to that, but also be invested to stand proudly in that. Mm. Right. Because the fact that we are like recording this, um, you know, virtually and, and Huang and you yourself are in the studio is the fact that we come from a legacy of people that fought for us to have these spaces. Right. right? Um, so that's, what's important for me, mm -hmm. for, for them to know, like, this is also yours and this is your, this is part of your rights, mm -hmm. um, that you inherit through, through us, right? Through right. us. That's, that's really important. And then, you know, Huang, I, I'm going to push you a little bit for the growth to be there too in regards to things change and language we didn't create the language that we speak i i agree, mm -hmm. I agree. we didn't create the language that we speak the language that we speak was created for us and imposed mm -hmm. because if there wasn't a slave trade we would not be speaking spanish or english right we would be maybe speaking another language and learnt maybe another language mm -hmm. Absolutely. so with that comes language shifts right absolutely and for me, it's a it's an effort, right, to say Latino, Latina, Latine, Latinex, right? It's an effort, but I do it simply because I'm a woman and I don't I'm not Latino. So mm -hmm. the the standardizing of this male dominant culture has also led to domestic violence, mm -hmm. to violence against women, mm -hmm. because when we use when we invisibilize women, 
women don't become a central piece of culture mm. and we are and language is a reflection of culture mm. so when we talk about machismo within the latino community well of course if women are not even present in language you know and i see it i see it so common when like when we have school counselors speak about uh, el comité de padres de familia and then i go to one of these com- comités it, those are the PTAs, the Parent Teacher right. Association, uh-huh. and it's all women. Mm. I'm like, why are we being called padres de familia if we're not padres? <laughs> why not? And then we have grandparents. Sometimes we even have grandparents that are at these PTA meetings. These are not parents either. So why not just call them family associations, yeah. family teachers? You know, let's 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 start shifting language because shifting language for your son and for my children is gonna open up freedoms as well yeah so yeah. that's that's the that's like the invitation and it happens in english too when we say oh, absolutely. You guys, mm-hmm. and it's a whole bunch of women uh-huh uh-huh my studio audience here which is Juan's wife said that's the best explanation ever <laughs> Call me anytime. Yes, yes. We're going to get to you. See, you got juice with my wife. You sure do. You sure do. Why'd you do that? So what projects are you working on? What's next for you? I mean, pandemic and all. I mean, what what are you going to be working on or working on now? Actually, we have some really exciting things. If you go to AfroResistance.org and AfroResistance on Facebook, Mm -hmm. we just finished our very first and it's one of the only black girls panel. And it was a black girls panel. We had girls 10, um, 11, and 16-year-olds from the region. So we had Brazil, we mm. had um, Colombia, and the United States talking about what are some of their issues and concerns for the future. Wow. And when you can get black girls to articulate what, what they need mm. in their own perspective, that will guide us. Yes. As adults to move forward. Right. Right. So that's that's one thing. We also um, Afro Resistance also launched a children's anthology of mm. children's stories written for children by children nice. from the region. Nice. You can get that on our website as well. Mm-hmm. It's free of charge. Mm-hmm. And then because, you know, what I said at the beginning, we have been invisibilized. Right. As as black um, immigrants, as black migrants. We launched the Black um, Women and Girls from Latin America Fund, which is actually doing fun, giving small funds directly to Black um, women from Latin America and the Caribbean mm. that are here and sustaining their families abroad. Wow. Because when we talk about like how, who this has disproportionately impacted, it has disproportionately in- impacted Black people, and that includes the whole diaspora in the United States and and Latino non-black identifying people. Mm-hmm. But but the clarity here is that there's a lot of support from the immigrant rights movement to a lot of the non-black community. But when you talk about blackness, who is really supporting the domestic worker or the nanny that is undocumented and black and just had a baby mm-hmm. and she has a child in her home country? Mm. There, there's not a lot of resources there. Right. So, and then the same for girls. We have girls that have not been able to go to school, 
where school was maybe one of the only safe spaces for them. Mm. But they have access to the internet and to services, but they're not allowed to access them via their cell phone and all those things because of their parents' restrictions. So the, the fund is something that once girls apply for it, they also enter into like a cohort of other girls that they can communicate with mm-hmm. and create changes in their local community with some funding. Nice. So nice. that's what's next for us is really focusing on the work of, of black girls from Latin America and mm-hmm. the Caribbean. A lot of work. So how can people find you? How can people find you and locate you? Um, you can find me on social media. Um, the organization is Afro Resistance. That's the tag for all the social media. Mm-hmm. And then me personally is JW Panama um, on Twitter and on Instagram. And via Facebook is Jean-Bierre Williams Comrie. And then you can also email me, um, Jean-Bierre, J-A-N-B-I-E-B-E, at Afroresistance.org. Awesome. Awesome. Juan, what's going on with you? What do you have Dude, next? I can't follow that yes, up. Yes, you can. Man, what are you doing? Like, you know what? We need, we need body. <laughs> we need hands on our bodies. That's right. In a safe, consensual way. <laughs> Come on, doctor. You know, I'm just your local neighborhood neuro facilitator. I make sure that your body is working at hemios in hemiostasis because it was disrupted due to injury, assault, or trauma. Nice. And you can locate me at AMQ Chiropractic. What does AMQ stand for? Aquí me quedo. And that's a throwback to my... um wife's father who owned a, a restaurant in Brooklyn and it was called Aki Mequedo. But it's an idiom that's used by a lot of Lat- Latinos, but in Puerto Rico you use it as like, hey man, when they're really comfortable someplace and like, hey man, let's go somewhere. I was like, ah, I don't know, Aki Mequedo. I'm okay here. <laughs> okay. So um I've worked for various different organizations in Atlanta. And finally, I got fatigued with the fact that it's like, why am I working for all these people when I could do this for myself? Okay. And I don't have to worry about the gossip or the, you know, the whatever's going on amongst ourselves. And I can do this and then I can invest my time and my energy so that I can be closer to my family. Mm -hmm. And then maybe I can go out and and shoot pictures and do photography. Mm -hmm. So you can find me at at drjc. Rodriguez, that's R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z at, um, at, at, uh, Instagram and you can find me on Flickr. You can see all my pictures on Flickr because that's my hobby. I like mm-hmm. to shoot people. Like to take okay? pictures. Sometimes I cut their heads off. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> um, you can find me on Instagram and you can find me on Twitter and you can find me on, on Facebook. Now I'm, I'm here. And in Atlanta, and uh, my energy is invested into making sure that I can communicate the information to people in a layman's turn. Remember, I, I changed careers at 35, man. The people that went to the school around me were like in their 20s. And then, like, these people, like, they have, like, this mentality. It's like, oh, I'm a doctor, and I got to act like a doctor. And it's like, you know, doctors put on their, their pants the same way, one leg at a time, and they walk out the building one leg at a time, but they need to be able to communicate the information in, in a manner where it's understood and they're going to be able to retain it and regurgitate it down the line. Mm-hmm. Also, I, there's not a lot of places where you can go where you can find a Latino who's going to represent, it to represent you in a court of law 
for injuries that you may have sustained in some sort of like work-related accident or automobile accident. And I'm that guy. And so everyone, you know, surprises me tons of times when I go to like these conventions and stuff like that. And I look all around me. I was like, dude, there's so many smart people in here. What am I doing in here? And then I go like, well, I guess I must be a little bit smart too, you know, to be able to be hanging out with them. No, man. She's smart. She's smart. Look, she got all those books. (laughs) You're smart too. You're smart. I want to thank you both for being my guest for today. This was very good. Thank you so much, guys, for your time. I want to thank um, our listeners out on Get Live Radio that is spanning the UK, Germany, and Paraguay. Also want to thank WDJA, uh, DJY 99.1 FM for covering the metro Atlanta area that includes Dallas, Hiram, Powder Springs, and Douglasville. The On Channel and Beat Break Radio FM. If you want to get in touch with me, you can call us at 404-458-7930. Leave us your comments and questions that you might have had about this show. I'm Real Chicks Rock. I am everywhere. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I want to also shout out our um, sponsor for today. The it was today's show was powered by Clarity Clarity LLC. Discovering the real you. So this is a young lady that is a millennial, is black owned and operated, who is designed to coach you and your partner in unlocking your hidden potential. So so many times, oftentimes we need some coaching in some areas of our life. Feel free to check out Clarity. Um, that's spelled with a K. K-L-A-R-I-T-Y-L-L-C on Instagram and get your free consultation today. Schedule that today. So guys, that's my time. I am Real Chicks Rock and you know, like I said, you can find me everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Go check out our website, realchicksrock.com. Make sure you get that t-shirt and get that mask. That baby girl told me I needed a mask. I do have masks. I have have it here. I have it here in my bag over there. I'll be sure to put it on before I leave. We are social distancing today. So it was really good. It was great to see you guys. It's been a while. Thanks for my guests. Thank you so much for zooming in all the way from New York to be a part of the conversation today. Until next time, you guys continue to be well. Take care and rock on. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have a product or service you'd like to have promoted during the show, please contact us at info at realchicksrock.com and we'll send you the details. We're reaching the masses and we would love for you to join us on the ride. Until next time, take care and continue to rock on.